From the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome to this Aloha Friday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran along with Tanner Hayworth. And between us, we'll try and bring you the complete world of sports, pros, colleges, high schools, other sporting events taking place here with guests and giveaways and your phone calls. Ton going on in the sports world. Let's get after it. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. The Celtics shot lights out in the fourth quarter to turn a 12-point third-quarter deficit into a 12-point win. Celtics take a 1-0 lead in the best of seven, 120-108 the final. Al Hor Horford led the Celtics with 26, while Steph Curry paced the Warriors with 34. The teams will next meet on Sunday at the Chase Center, 2 p.m. start. Hawaii time. Current events. Well, the PGA Tour has not brought the hammer down yet on tour players who have decided to ignore the tour's rejection of all exemption requests. Expect this to end up in the courts. PGA Tour players are independent contractors. There is some doubt over whether or not the tour would have the right to ban them current events well there are three oklahoma softball players that got selected to be finalists in the player of the year honors well it's a great honor but let's not create false drama the player of the year is hawaii's own jocelyn alo it's not any place close in career home runs she's got 122 and counting the next woman on the list has 95 and she's long done the, she's also second, this is a first, she's second nationally in batting average, hitting 497. That, nothing could be more settled than who's going to be the national player of the year. Congratulations to Jocelyn Alo. She has had some crazy career. Go ahead if you have something you want to talk about. 296-1420. So, Tanner sends me a text after the game and says, I hope you're prepared to have people like trollers after you. I said, why? Because I picked because I picked Golden State? I, I think that's kind of funny. They were up 12 at the end of the third quarter. I thought that was under control. Um, clearly it wasn't. And I have to give credit where credit's due. Boston shot lights out. At one point, they were seven of seven from three-point range in the fourth quarter. Hey, a team does that, they're going to get the win. And that's that's all there is to it. I don't think – I think this thing is a long way from over. But I also think, considering the Golden State was 9-0 at home, that's a huge win for the Celtics, at least psychologically. I don't see how it wouldn't be. I don't see how they wouldn't take tremendous credit. They got great shooting from Al Horford, uh, from Devin White. They had a number of guys that were putting the ball in the bat. Peyton Pritchard made a few. I, I kind of think that was as 
That was about as well, I think, as Boston could play down the stretch. When you outscore someone like Golden State 40 to 16 in the quarter, that that's going some. 296-1420 is that number. I hope it's a great series. I'm I've said this before, as much as I do like the style of play that the that the Golden State Warriors employ. But truthfully, probably if you had to go pick a team that's maybe next in line to that, that might well be Boston. They also move the ball around a great deal. So I actually think it's a fun series to watch. I hope everyone's going to enjoy it because there won't be any basketball after this for a long time. We got Mike on the line. Hey, Mike. Hey, Bobby. Uh, you know the funny thing about that game? That game one on the road win is bigger than just a regular win because automatically uh, they have to win at Boston. And Boston hasn't really been that good in the playoffs at home. But Celtics, with that game one win, they don't have to win two in a row. They just have to win every other, and they win. Right. But although the other – here's the thing to remember. Golden State has won a road game in 26 straight series. But you know what the thing is when you watch it, too? It kind of reminds me of when the, the Pistons played that Lakers team in 2000 and – what was it? 2004, and they beat them, and uh, everybody, everybody was picking the Lakers at the beginning. But you didn't realize – uh, what that Pistons team had, and the Lakers were slipping. They didn't have that their athleticism, and they didn't have that that playmaker. And the thing about um, uh, Golden State is, you can tell that Draymond and Clay aren't the same defenders anymore. I don't, when, I when don't you, know if I'm going there on Draymond. Uh, I think Clay. I think Clay Thompson hasn't really recovered some of his high end explosiveness. I would agree with that. But I, I'm not seeing that with Draymond. He was second team all, you know, NBA on defense. He believes he should have been first team. A lot of people agree with him on that. He's very, very smart. He can make the plays. He's, he's good blocking shots for his height. I, I just think there's a lot to like about the way Draymond plays defense. Well, I'm not saying he's, he's bad or anything. I'm just saying he's not that Draymond uh, uh, five or six years ago. Well, who I is? I mean, he... No, I agree, but that's that's what I'm not I mean, even. That, I'm not even the Draymond I was six years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, but the Celtics are the thing about the Celtics. You're right. This, I mean, they hit a bunch of three pointers, but they're, they're not. They're one of them kind of teams that can shut shut you down for five or six minutes in any game. They got that kind of defense. They do, but they, they shut, also. I think, I think you also saw what can happen to them like what happened in the first quarter to them against Steph Curry. Steph oh, Curry I'm, I'm went you. hog wild. They could do nothing. They, Marcus Smart was helpless. And, well, and Curry had 21. I don't, here's what I didn't understand. Okay, when he comes back in, I know he rests to the first four or five minutes of the second quarter. That's, that's, that's typical of their rotation. When he comes back in, I want the ball in his hands. I, when yeah. he comes back in, it's like, look, let's pick it up where you left off. You're killing these guys. They're clueless. And instead, yeah, well, he, he, he got two yeah. shots the rest of the half. Crazy. Yeah, they won under the screen, though, at the beginning. 
I mean, I don't know why they did that kind of stuff when, when they play that pick and roll. Because they can't uh, get over the top. That's what, yeah, but you you know, it's it's easier said than done. It's ever nice to sure. say, oh, yeah, just get over the top of that screen. Let me tell you something. With a guy as quick as Curry, it's the hardest thing in basketball to get over the top of those screens. If everybody is, was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But the other thing is, is that um, they were laboring physically at the end of that game, Golden State. I think part of that was I, emotional too, because yeah, it could be. You know, they were playing so well. I mean, even when they weren't playing great, because I think the first quarter was largely Curry. Because you look at the shooting percent, everyone else was lousy. I mean, Curry just stole right, right, the show. Right. So, I mean, I, there's only so much Steph Curry can do. I was like, hey, guys, I'll tell you, that might be the worst I've seen Jordan Poole play. He was awful. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing is Celtics had a tougher road to get there than uh, Golden State. Golden State, I mean, let's face it, Dallas is no defensive team. I mean, they got really one guy, kind of like, he's kind of like Harden, and it's easier to defend teams like Dallas. Than oh, it is, I, uh, I think that's true. I think that is true uh -oh. because that's a one-dimensional team, whereas there's multiple weapons for the Celtics. I think this, though, that anybody's thinking this series is over. Slow roll that one. Oh, I'm with you there. I mean, that, that would be ridiculous. Now, I'll tell you what. If they lose Sunday, Golden State, then the series is, is over. <laughs> I mean, it's a must-win. There's no doubt about that. I think, but I think they last will year, win it. Let me just bring this up. Last year... How many people were we? did we hear saying when Phoenix won the first two games? How many people did we hear say, even on this program, oh, that's over. That wasn't even any fun. It's two, oh, that thing's done. Well, the Bucks came back and won four in a row. So, was I that mean, on the I, road, though? Yeah, sure it was. Of course it was. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, Phoenix won those two on the road, the first two? I, no, I don't know. I think Phoenix was home, I think. But yeah, that's still, the you but can't lose the first two at home. Well, okay, but I, I just think the fact that yeah. an NBA team won four in a row at that level. I mean, would you rule out the chances that Golden State could possibly win four in a row? I wouldn't. No, not no, not at all. Uh, which, it, I agree with you on this. Yeah. I'm not arguing yeah. on the central point. You don't want to be down 2-0. That's for sure. No, not. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, I think it's. I'm glad Boston won because. Um, it makes it an interesting yeah. series. Well, thanks, Mike. We got who we got on, John? Bill. Hi, Bill. Hey, Bobby. How are you? Good. I'm good. What's up? Oh, I was just uh, I, I was listening to you yesterday, and I thought it was really interesting because I was looking forward to knowing how much crow you were going to be eating this morning after uh, being so sure that there was no way Boston was going to win yesterday. I really th like the uh, Golden State's chances. When they were up 12 at the end of the third quarter, I thought that thing was rock solid. Put Lock it up, put it in the refrigerator, and seal the door. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. listen, I, listen, I'll be the first one to say, you shoot like that. They go 7 of 7 from 3 while Golden State's 1 for 6. You're going to win a lot of games. Just yeah, simple that's as that. That's yeah, so so what you were asking yesterday, if you're listening, you said, well, how is it that Boston's going to win? How is it Boston? Well, now you know. They go seven for seven, and Golden State goes one for six in the in the three department, and bingo. Might not happen quite that way again, but there was <laughs> nobody that was not trying to tell you that Boston isn't a good team. 
I mean, I, everybody who called in yesterday, I mean, I think there's a recognition that what Boston did from some January on was remarkably the best record in the NBA. So I, yeah. I think for anybody to just cancel out, oh, they have no chance. That's a misapprehension, certainly if that's what it's construed that I was saying. I still like Golden State. I won't, though, if they lose on Sunday. I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not intractable in the face of overwhelming evidence. <laughs> well, I can tell you what, what made me nervous was the first quarter when Curry was hitting everything and Boston was only down two or four points. I, that bothered me too. Yeah, that's what well, I was I'm thinking. Well, I'm like, listen, Whoa, guys, I felt like yeah. saying if I could if I could have had a word in that Golden State huddle, it would have been, hey guys, don't depend on him to do everything. He can't do this whole thing. You guys got to get a little aggressive on the backboard. You got to get a little aggressive with points in the paint. You need to get after this because it's not going to just happen if you're relying on Steph. So anyway, I, I mean, I was watching that and I'm like, holy smokes. You think that Steph's killing them, and it's a two-point ball game. I know, and then Crazy. and then Steph sat out. Uh, you know, good Too part long. of the second quarter. Yeah. He does that always. He's, that's his their routine. Usually oh, sits. Yeah, okay. he usually sits six or seven minutes to start the second quarter, and then he's pretty much playing most of the rest of the way. But mm. to me, that game was so close. I thought it would it warranted leaving your hot hand in. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, sometimes like guys think. get married to their routine. You know, oh, no, we rest him in the first six minutes. Well, maybe you can't afford to do that today. Yeah. Because yeah. you're only well, up two damn theory. points. Yep. Thanks. All right. Thank you for the call. 296-1420 is the number. Was that the one that you were anticipating from yesterday? No. I was talking about me. Oh, I'm the unhinged I, Boston Celtics. I thought you meant you had someone that gave you a heads up. To expect a little trolling. Well, someone today. did, and that was me. And I, I told myself to tell you okay, to that's prepare f- for that. That's fine. That's you, you I can handle. Anybody that predicts the Bears to beat the Saints in New Orleans, I am I'm all good with your predictions. I'm ready to defend. 296-1420 is the number. Listen, there's a reason Boston was the best team. I mean, by certainly since January in the Eastern Conference, they were the best. It was it was clear. They they have youth on their side. They got a couple of spectacular athletes. I frankly did not. I thought that was a dud of a game, really by Tatum. I mean, now he, well, I'll say this: he did distribute the basketball beautifully, and I that was a record high for a rookie in the finals for the for their debut in the finals. Well, that would, that's what I'm saying. It's not, oh, there was somebody that did better in the finals, but not in the first game. Well, I was just saying for their debut in the finals. Because a rookie in the finals sounds like he's a rookie. No, no, I meant he's a finals rookie. Okay, that's, he'd never been in the finals before. In any case, he passed Something the, that the ESPN broadcast could not stop bringing up about Al Horford last night. Did you notice that? Every time they looked at Al Horford, they're like, in his first finals game, it's like, yeah, this is the first finals game for every single Boston Celtics no, no player. No doubt, exactly. They had never, ever had a guy play in the finals before. And they had 123 games on the other side. Shows you what that means. 
uh, apparently. And I said yesterday, is that guarantee of anything? No. And I'll tell you what, give me the hot shooter anytime. Give me the guy that goes seven for seven from three. I want that guy. I mean, I couldn't have asked any more out of Steph Curry. He was, he was sensational. There's something about Curry, too. When, you know, some guy like Devin White makes a three. A lot of times it rattles or whatever. It goes down. With, there's a reason they call him the ultimate splash brother. When Curry's on his game, it's just making a mess of the basket. It's just ripping that thing straight down and back up. He's like, he's like no other shooter we've ever had. He's changed the game probably as much as anybody at his level because I think most people would have him maybe just outside the top 10, you know, when you're talking about lifetime. Some people might not even have him in the top 15. I do because I just think when you change the game that much, you've got to be acknowledged for it. That game is so different from when Steph Curry came in the league. It's not even funny. Everybody is crazy three-reliant. Did you see that was a record number of threes put up last night? That number's not going down. That's just going to keep sailing on. 17 minutes past the hour. Shall we take a quick timeout? Let's do it. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii Twenty-one minutes past six o'clock. Glad you're along for the ride. Let's get to the phones. We got John on the line. What's up, John? Hey, how's it going, Bobby? I was shocked by that uh, outcome of the Celtics game. I was uh, kind of driving around with my wife, and we went in to eat dinner, and. Uh, they were losing by 14. I came out, and they're winning by, like, 15. I was like, what happened? But uh, anyway, uh, I'll tell you, I've been on the Celtics uh, since uh, for, like, about a month now, and I like these guys because they're, like, like a hard hat kind of team. Uh, they don't uh, have any superstars and stuff like that. And, and Jason Tatum had a bad game yesterday. What are the Warriors going to do when he comes out and drops 40? I don't, I think well, I, games, I, fortunately, if you're a Golden State fan, games don't work on that kind of linear quotient. That's not how it works. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he get, he might get 40 and they might lose. How many times did well, Luka Doncic get 40 and the Mavs lost? Well, so, true, sometimes that, that doesn't work that way. They're much more a complete team, I think, than uh, the Mavericks are in uh, – I think these guys are in real trouble. If they lose game two, I I'll just about think this is over. But uh, uh, it's kind of interesting, though, but it's, I did not expect to see that yesterday. Well, yes, this is uh, – I didn't probably – certainly at the end of the third quarter when I saw Steve Kerr interviewed and they were up 12, I kind of figured put the, put the lock on this one. I just never expected – they went ice cold. They lost their aggressiveness, and Boston fired it up. They made seven straight threes. Yep. What, you know, what do you do? The team makes seven straight threes. You're going to win a lot of games. Doesn't mean yeah. they're going to make seven straight threes on Sunday. Well, this, this is true. But, you know, uh, I'm hearing uh, that uh, these guys, have the, the Celtics have won something like six or eight road games during the playoffs. And uh, these guys are very dangerous. I'm thinking both Golden State was uh, – I'm just, they're in trouble, man. I'm, that's all I got to say. 
could be, could well be. I mean, I, I think we don't know that, but I sure would like to see a, about a good 24 first, 24 minutes on Sunday at the Chase Center. I'll tell you that. Because they got to bounce right back out of that if you're going to win the championship. Yeah, you can't have that kind of nonsense lingering. Because there were a couple yeah, guys that had god-awful games. <laughs> As far as a good game, though, I mean, when was the last time you saw a better game than that in game one of the finals? Well, that was, I mean, overall, I got to give credit to the Celtics' comeback. I mean, it was fun to watch. It started to appear inevitable at some point. And that's when your Noah team's got it going on. So they were, they were good. I think they're well coached. I thought it's a good basketball team. I still marginally like Golden State better, but I can, I'm not inflexible. If they get blown, if Golden State gets blown in game two, I'm going to have to say it looks like Boston. Yeah. Well, good. Thank you. Thank you. It's 24 minutes past. Hey, listen, there's only two results that are possible in a basketball game. You can win or you can lose. It's very simple. Here's what goes on, I think, at the highest levels now. This is, college is a little more predictable because if a guy's basically... Oh, uh, you know, a 28% three-point shooter in college, he's not likely to come out and make six in a row on you. I'm, I'm just saying that that's the way it is. So, but on the other hand, once guys get to the pros, the biggest separator between college players and the pros is the ability to shoot the basketball, especially the big guys. I mean, when you get guys like Otto Porter, what is he, 6'8", I want to say? When you get guys like Otto Porter that are just lining it up and knocking it down, shot after shot, well, that's unusual. I mean, let's face it. And I think, the, compare that to most college players, you don't see six, eight guys that are deadly. It's rare. If, they, if they, there is one, he's usually going top five or six picks in the draft. So I just think that's the biggest difference between the pros and colleges, the ability to shoot the basketball. Why would it seem strange that the team that played the best basketball in the NBA from January on is suddenly knocking down shots. I don't think that should be shocking. I think you have a right to sort of think, well, things are going to regress to the mean. And if a team is 37% from three, that's basically what they're going to end up as. You're not going to see the team that shot 37% for the whole season now shoot 63% in the playoffs. It's just doesn't hold up over time so i mean because at some point you are who you are but what boston is is pretty damn good i saw i thought a couple of times i don't know if anyone else noticed this and i'm more a little more sensitive probably because steph curry is smaller you know he's probably a buck 85 to go with six three and you know i think he obviously works out he's a good rebounder but when jay when uh, smart when marcus smart was leaning on him I mean, those, to me, were obvious fouls. He's almost laying on his back. You know, if you don't call those things, I think that's a huge advantage for Boston. Because they got a couple of guys that are very physical. It's not just Marcus Smart. It's, Jay, you know, it's Jalen Brown. Some of these guys are quite physical. They're willing to use that. Listen, if you can get away with that and they're not going to call it, more power to you. That's all good. It's 27 minutes past the hour. If you have something you want to talk about with us, 
I'll tell you what, we're going to have our first guest up shortly, Scoop Jackson out of Chicago. He's going to talk a little NBA with us. Stay here on ES. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you very much. I do want to mention while we're here that it must have been seven years ago. I was flagging on my energy. I just, I mean, I, listen, I get up and it's a weird lifestyle. You're getting up at 3.15 every morning. There comes a point where it starts to wear on you. So I was asking people, and they said, go talk to the guys who are on your show. They're always talking about the difference in the energy level. So I called Dr. Charles Arakaki and set up an appointment, and we went down. I talked to him for probably a half hour. I had a ton of questions. I just wanted to find out, is there any issue with this? Is, there, is this likely to lead to other problems on and on? I mean, I'm sure he's heard every one of those questions asked before, but he was fabulously willing to take his time to, to run through it. There wasn't any sales pressure. He just said, this is what you can expect. Well, I'm going to tell you, that was a case of under-promising and over-delivering. Because first off, I began very quickly to lose weight. Not a ton. Pound, you know, pound a week. Then it was like just for a couple of weeks. Then it was kind of morphed into a pound or two a month. Well, I'll just give you the, the roundup on that. In four years, I went from 230 pounds to 182. And I didn't eat any different. I probably had a little more energy to work out more, but that was probably it. That was the change. It was fabulous. And I got to tell you, I thank Dr. Charles Arakaki for that. And now you can go see him at his new place on the edge of Kahala Mall called Ohana Men's Clinic, or you can go virtually. Some people are more comfortable with virtual. He is good either way. And my advice is make the appointment and go see him because you're going to like it. You can get, it's about a 20-minute presentation generally, longer if you need that, but I think you're going to really enjoy talking with him. That would be my advice. I took it uh, seven years ago, and I've never had a regret, except maybe I didn't start sooner. So just a reminder, once again, you want to call Charles, Dr. Charles Arakaki, and he is at Ohana Men's Clinic in Kahala, Find out more at drcharlesarakaki.com. That's drcharlesarakaki.com. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. Welcome back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program. Well... I was going to say you could knock me down with a feather, but that's not true because I think we've been, a lot of us have been around long enough to see strange things happen in basketball and in the NBA in particular. And this is a good Boston Celtics team. I would have said, though, at the end of third quarter, it was 12. That margin was 12. I thought that was safe. Should have known better. Let's welcome Scoop Jackson from ESPN. Scoop, how are you? I'm good, Bobby. How you doing, my man? Were you surprised by that fourth quarter? Uh, yes and no. I was surprised. You know what? I wasn't surprised by the victory. I was really surprised by the um, amount that they won by. I, you know, I, I, 
I could see Boston coming back, but I didn't think they'd end up winning the game at the end by that much. I thought, you know, they may close that 12-point lead and then squeak it out and get a one-two-point victory. For them to, like, double-digit that and make that type of turnaround, I didn't see coming. But And the only reason I saw it coming at the end of the third quarter is because I thought Steve Kerr and his crew stuck with a routine that got him in trouble in the first half. And that's their resting rotation that they have for uh, 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 Steph Curry. And if you remember at the end of the first quarter, after he like, what did he have, like 21 at the end of the first, right? And he didn't start the second quarter. And he ba- they basically sat him half of the second quarter. And what happened? The lead closed. And so in my mind, okay, Steph is this hot. You know, you sit him out for – five, six minutes of the second quarter, and they close this lead, and Steph goes on and has 21 in the first quarter and nothing in the second quarter, okay, we're not going to let that happen again, right? In the third quarter, you're up by, what, 12? Yes. And who's on the bench again? You know what I'm saying? I understand it's their rotation to sit him at the beginning of the second and fourth quarter so that he gets his rest, but they should have learned that in this game in the first half. You can't that do it. When I, will, on, I am you so can't with do you. That. You have to get out of there. I and am they did totally that. And with you on this. It, it, went, it went from 12 points to five points in less than three minutes. That, and at that point, I, I just think was like, you, okay. And I think good coaches, and I, th- I consider Steve Kerr one of them, but you can't get locked in to something that yes. you do most of the yes. time because yesterday was yes. the wrong day for it. Yes, you have to read the game. You know, you have to re- you have to make it audible and adjust to what's happening inside of that game. And I'm nowhere close to being as smart as Steve Kerr or anybody on that coaching staff. But I'm looking at it, and I can see, oh, this is about to go bad. Yep, <laughs> you too. didn't learn this in the first half. Right, so that's, that's, that's why I, I wasn't surprised because I'm like, oh, they're basically not paying attention to what's going on to this game and Steph's role in this game. This is one of those games that Steph is going to have to play 40 minutes. Yeah, I thought you got to keep him on the court. Exactly. Because I yeah. thought the same thing yeah. because even when Steph is not scoring on you, he's pulling people off of other guys. Yes. You know, yes. that's so valuable yes. because Jordan Poole wasn't getting those usual Jordan Poole looks. That was much more right. contested because Steph's sitting on the pine while he's trying to create yes. everything on his own. And Crazy. Clay's not really having a clay day. And even yeah. without, to me, I don't care if you're up by 30. You learn from what happened in the first half. Like, nah, yeah. we can't do that in this game. Let's at least, we're going to start him in the fourth quarter and see if we can maintain this lead going into the fourth quarter. Play him the first three minutes of the fourth quarter, and if we're still up by 10, Let's give him a break. And go. if we see that lead starts to drop, then we get him back in the game. But don't do the exact same pattern that you did that cost you in the first half. You no, don't do that. that I, I'm, I, compl- I couldn't agree with you more. If you hadn't brought it up to me, I would have brought it up to you. I just think getting married, yeah. getting married to these hiatuses, like, okay, first six minutes of the second quarter, first five minutes yeah. of the fourth quarter, I just think, okay, that may work many times. But it was clearly not going to work last night. At what point do you get off it? Well, hopefully they get off of it for the rest of the season. <laughs> yes. I think they have to get out of it. And, and for, you know, you have to read the games. And I understand 
that players are used to routines, but this is the finals and you're dealing with somebody who has been here many times, so he's used to whatever adjustments need to be made inside of this game. So if Steph is like, all right, I know my routine, my mind is set on when I'm going to rest, they're like, nah, Steph, that's not going to happen. And, you you know, this isn't what uh, uh, Bill Walsh used to do with the San Francisco 49ers back in the day where he used to call every – the first 25 plays, regardless of the game situation, was going to be what he already structured. Yeah. He was never going to deviate from that. And, you know, when you have players like Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Steve Young and Ronnie Love, when you have play, players like that, you may be able to get away with that sometimes. But you can't get stuck with that in a game where at least you've seen what can happen and it gives you a warning. And that's where they have to get out of their own heads and get out of their own ways and not stick to what their quote-unquote game plan is overall for every player, but specifically a player that's like as Curry. important as Steph Curry yep. is to your success. Exactly. Totally, exactly. totally agree with that. There are times I want Clay on with uh, on the court at the same time as Steph, just because I think those guys have that sort of you know uh, psychic hotline connection. There are times when you know Clay goes to relocate, he hasn't turned around yet, and the ball's there. I mean, because yeah. I think those guys have done it so often together, they sort of think as one person. There are times in they an do. NBA game where you need that. You need that connection. Yes. So I, I, that's very yes. interesting. You do. And they showed it, I think, in the first quarter. Steph gave him a pass, and the minute he passed it to him, he turned away and started running down court. Didn't even look because he knew Clay was going to drop it. Right. And that's, that's beautiful because that, that's that that's that synchronicity that they have with one another. They're connected like that, and that's fine. But what I think Golden State needs to be worried about is that synchronicity not – having the same effect on the defensive end. Yeah. They used to be able to play off each other defensively because of the assignments that Clay used to take. And it was interesting to hear Mark Jones ask a question last night during the game where he asked Mark Jackson, you know, um, do you think Clay is back to being 100%? And, you know, I love Mark Jones, but I was, like, shaking my head, like, what kind of question is that? You know he's not. You know, one, not even from offense standpoint because he's not consistent enough. You know, when he once he gets consistently consistent offensively, then you'll know he's close to being back 100. Yep. percent But right. let's be honest, what, where he's not 100 percent back is defense. No and until he gets back it. to taking the main right, so I don't even know why you asked that question. And it goes back to your thing about them being in sync. Just as great as they were offensively being in sync, the way they had the system, especially when Ron Adams was there at Golden State, they were in sync defensively because of the assignments Clay was able to take and how he allowed to cover for something Steph couldn't do defensively, but also he gave Steph the opportunity to take chances, like making steals in the lane. And they played off each other so beautifully while Draymond was doing Draymond things. You know, they don't have that. And I don't know when they're going to get that back. And that may be the one thing that hampers them until Clay is able to mentally, not physically, mentally go back to what he was defensively. And I don't know if that's going to take place in this series. I hear you. I am. I am a believer. I think Steph, this is the best defensive version of Steph we've seen since he's no, been. without the, question. When the well, since he's been in the league, he but really he had is, to be. He, but he, he had, had to be because he got told he it. had to be, and he's gone to work on it. And big credit to him. But no, Clay, I, think, I think because Clay wasn't there. Clay, I think Clay's not there, so he I, had I, to play. You know, he had to step up. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mick. Go I was ahead. just going to say Clay's a worker, and you never have to worry about him being willing to grind. But right now, he doesn't have his explosiveness back. That's what's right, missing. Exactly. It's why a guy like Jalen Brown, 
when he gets his shoulders even with him, he's going by him because he's fresh yes. and young and Clay's neither of those things anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also there has to be some type of confidence that comes with that. I know his explosiveness is not there, but he has to find ways to make defenses, you know, at least not play lockdown defense, but play similar defense where he stays in front of his guy, makes it difficult for Cass to score. Yeah. And – Mentally, get to look at look at enough film to know what players' tendencies are, so he can beat them and make it difficult for them to get to their spot. You I know, what know. we're seeing now is not even a half a clay. You know, he's not really making it yeah. difficult. I don't mind people scoring on him. Get it? He's just not presenting a challenge to some of the players that he used to be able to present. Let me get to this because it did seem to me, and I put Marcus Smart more on a little bit, Jalen Brown. But Marcus Smart is very physical to the point he really runs it right to the line. He was yes. leaning and laying on Steph Curry. I would have called it. I yes. would have just said, that's not basketball. Yes. You can't do that. Now, if you're going to do right. it, you're going to get whistled for it. Because he just right. was holding him and hanging on him. And I am like, okay, I know you don't have the quickness with the ankle to stay with Steph open court. That's okay. Well, that that happens. you got to get help. From a teammate, you don't just lay on a guy. Right. No, I, I agree. But I also believe that referees uh, are involved in the games, too. And they probably got caught up in Steph scoring the way he's scoring. They're like, well, hell, why are we going to call foul? He's not stopping. Right, maybe. <laughs> it's having no effect on this. So we'll, we'll look at other things because that's not affecting Steph. You know, so maybe, maybe, and you know, like I said, they're human beings, too. They're, they're far from perfect. And they have a spotlight on them, especially coming to the finals. And um, they don't want to be ticky-tacky, but I agree with you. And I think moving forward, you may see those calls being made because if, if Golden State is doing what Golden State is doing, they're making sure the refs know, all right, from game two on, pay attention to this. Oh, I think like, that this I, is not I going guarantee to yeah. they've got guys on that staff that are the 10th, 11th, 12th coach that are going over and putting that tape together for the NBA because they're going to see that and just say, come on now. Well, are we changing yes, exactly. the rules of this in the middle of the finals? I mean, it just doesn't right. – that doesn't make or, sense. Or they would say, hey, if, if, if their guy gets away with this, then we want our guy Draymond to get away with this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, if you're not going to call this, all right, cool. But when Draymond does this, let it go. You know, let, at some point we're going to have to even this out, as, you know, at some point. And basically, we're talking about Marcus Smart is, you know, the guard version of Draymond Green. He is no Draymond question. Green for that squad. No doubt. So, you know, and, and, and I think as being defensive player of the year, he's earned the right to get away with some things, and that happens in the NBA. You know, when you're that good and you're that recognized in certain things, they let certain things go. You know, they never call traveling on Magic Johnson, stuff like that. You know, like, no, nah, we're not going to do that, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. In Draymond Green's case, and just because when Mark Smart got it this year, doesn't mean that there's not a pedigree for Draymond Green and his pitching for being recognized as one of the best defensive players of the generation. Yeah. So if you're going to let the defensive player of the year get away with some stuff, our guy who's going to get in the Hall of Fame because of his defense better start getting away with some of his stuff too. Yeah, I think most coaches would tell you, just call it the same way both sides and no one's going to complain. That's really you know what, what everybody so wants. I know. I know. That's so easy to say, especially in the course of the game and things go on. You know? And the one thing that, that you know, in the talks that I've had, with referees and with players, but specifically referees, is the fine line they have to walk in knowing that if they wanted to, 
every possession they could call a foul. Or every every possession they could call something if they wanted to. If they wanted to. It's just but the the, the NBA doesn't want that because that would really, really that would that would mess up the game in ways that we couldn't understand because there's some type of infraction going on on every play. So it's a matter of what they allow to, you know. To slide. To, yeah, yeah, they basically slide. You know, and it, it, it's, it's a tough call with three people on the court. And you remember back when there were two people back on the I court. So it's, it's a tough call to make. But like you say, you want it to be fair. And they're like, they're not counting the balance in their heads. You know what I'm saying? They're not like, okay, well, we got 22 fouls on Golden State, so we got to make sure no, that, you know, we're at least close to that. They're just calling what they see is egregious enough to stop the play of the game because their jobs are basically to not to control the game, but to, 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 to add some type of structure to it. Balance. Yeah. Structure or structure, that's a better word, structure to the game without actually doing what we think they're there to do, and that's to call infractions every time they see them. If yeah, they did no, that, I think I like, know, the, I like yeah. officials who keep control of the game. You can let things go, but be consistent on what you let go. I, I think that's what most of us ask for. We have got to take yeah. a quick time out. I, Scoop, I could talk to you all day long. Thanks much. Anytime, Bob. We'll, we'll be back with you before this is all over. And uh, Scoop Jackson from ESPN. We'll be right back on ESPN. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii. Welcome back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program. I, I would imagine Celtic fans feeling much, much better today. They get that opening win of the series in San Francisco. You get that, and the way it happens, you're down 12 at the end of the third quarter and then just basically run Golden State right out of the building, outscoring them in the fourth quarter, 40-16. to 16. That was convincing. There's no other way to put it. That was convincing, and that's a big win for them. No, now you've got to build on it. You've got to sustain it. You, there's no taking nights off in this series. I don't think you'd have to worry too much about Golden State even thinking that way. That they'll be hard at it. And I expect by the time they get back in, this is where I think it's an advantage to have you know the, the third day off because they don't play till Sunday. Well, you can say it's two days off, but I mean full Friday, full Saturday, and then not play till Sunday. That's an advantage for the team that gets up, I think. we got to take a quick timeout. Lots of good things coming up this hour, including buy or sell. Stay with us on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN, Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back. Here on an Aloha Friday, well, the NBA series 1-0 in favor of the visiting Boston Celtics. A hell of an effort. They can be very proud of that last night. Puts them in good stead. They immediately, in one game, erase Golden State's home court advantage, which was, you know, if you're, if you're Boston, it couldn't have gone any better than that. Time now for our favorite daily feature. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. Good morning, Bobby. Let's go ahead and jump into buy or sell today. And no surprise, we are going to be talking about the NBA Finals and Game 1 where the Boston Celtics 
do take that game, winning by 12, 122, 108. And as much as it was offense, 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 hey, you can't forget about the top two defensive teams in the league as the two best players from each team, Steph Curry and Jason Tatum, sure did have their struggles, whereas Steph did score 21 in the first quarter. In the second and fourth quarter, he just wasn't there, and Tatum just could not find his shot all game. But Jason Tatum did exactly what was coached out of him all year from Ime Udoka, who earlier in the season went in on him and Jalen Brown for not thinking of the pass first. And when his production went down, Tatum only started passing for the most assists in a final debut. And of course, every single Celtic stepping up sure helps. And where Curry slowed down, the Celtics defense stepped up, holding Draymond and Clay to only 18 points combined and having Wiggins become option number two for the Warriors as he dropped 20. And Poole did try to step up, but only got nine off of going two from seven from the field. Buy or sell, if Jason Tatum can find his shot again, the Warriors need to wake up on offense. Well, I, I think I'm going to buy that. I think the Warriors have to step it up on offense. And I, they got to get back to what they do best. They were moving that ball around in the first quarter like you couldn't have asked for more. Steph Curry goes out the first six minutes of the second quarter. What happened? It was like a different team on offense. Can't do that. And then the fourth quarter, they got obliterated. That may have been the, for, the worst fourth quarter I've seen the Warriors play in person this year. When I talk about actually sitting down and watching it, it was awful. No question that they got to do better. Otherwise, this will be a short series, but it'll be a short series in favor of the Celtics. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And if there's one player to highlight from the Celtics, it probably have to be role player Derek White, a player that was acquired halfway through the season, has stepped up on defense. But for much of the playoffs has kind of been their offensive liability and up to the heat series it was much of that but then after missing game two for the birth of his son i'll just give you some splits so this is pre pre hendrix james white derek white he was 6.6 points per game off of three percent shooting from the three in brooklyn and 30 in milwaukee and then after becoming a father, since then, he's scored he's 11.14 points per game on 40% shooting from three. Buy or sell, Derek White is stepping up for Hendricks, James you know, White. I'm surprised to hear this because I think he had six uh, th or threes uh, yesterday. I think it was six. It might have been five, but that was just saying, well, he's had more than that. He's had six in a game. And I was like, holy smokes. I mean, Derek White is not a bad shooter. He's got a decent form. He's got a nice touch. He's got the rotation in the arc. But I think he hangs his hat on the defensive end. I don't think he's a better shooter. Certainly doesn't have as much range as Peyton Pritchard, but he's a much better defender. So they give you kind of two sides of a coin, those two guys. And so that really allows Coach Udoka to sort of mix and match so I'm buying on the usefulness of Devin White. 
buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And to move on from the NBA Finals, finally yesterday, Ohio State, sorry, the Ohio State football head coach Ryan Day came out and said, hey, we need $13 million, please, boosters. Can we have $13 million? Because teams are poaching away our players for NIL deals. Of course, the same day, Jim Harbaugh preached in an article by Austin Meek at The Athletic. He says, right or wrong, our philosophy is that coming to the University of Michigan is still going to be a transformational experience rather than a transactional one. Spoken buy, like a true Michigan man. Buy or sell. Hey, the Big Ten ain't the SEC, Ryan. And you sure aren't Nick Saban. That's so funny. And I think that's all all of that is true. Although they're getting much closer, I think, in uh, at Ohio State, certainly, in terms of the resources and the whole deal. Did you see what, what uh, Ryan Day said to the booster group yesterday? He said, just telling you right now, I need $13 million immediately for the NIL if we're going to keep our players. How's that? Can you imagine Dave Matlin going in front of somebody and saying, we need $13 million tomorrow. Thank you very much. So I'll buy that there's a handful of teams that are just in a different class altogether, and that difference is going to be exacerbated, not minimized. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. That's today's Buy or Sell on ESPN Honolulu. Well, I watched just a picture just now of Steph Curry dejected walking out of the Chase Center. I'm sure that they were not feeling good about that yesterday. I mean, you get 21 points in the first quarter. He just looked like he was. It looked like one of those games where, be careful, because Steph Curry could go off for 60. And had they left him in the game, it wasn't good. Marcus Smart wasn't slowing him down. That was obvious. I think they just needed to go ahead, let Golden State just run Steph Curry off the screens, and let's see if Boston has an answer for it. Because the guy I would immediately move over is Jalen Brown because he's got a little more size. He's quick. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be able to stay with Curry when he's doing the back and forth over the back of the screen because that Curry loses people that way. And he can get the shot off. But I think you got to be careful with it. 296-1420, if you have something, uh, go ahead. So do you, is, has this game yesterday, this is what I'd like to get to, has it changed your sense of how this series is going to go? Now, you were predicting, I think, six or seven on this series? Six. So, and I was too. I think yesterday was my final deal. I came to, to Golden State with six. Now, I kind of think if it's six, I might go Boston's way. That's what I was saying, Bobby. Welcome to the fun side well, of the fan side. It's not fun for me. I don't enjoy that. Do you think I enjoy when the team I've selected loses? I don't enjoy that at all. So I'm not, and, and you don't either, so you should get that. 296-1420 is the number. You hate that. If you had gone to Ann Arbor and Michigan State had soiled the sheets and got destroyed, your trip would not have been as good. That's the fact. You got to Pro admit that. Probably, but that's the cool thing is that 
I was rooting for the team that I wanted to win, and they won. So, like you said, hey, I'm rooting for the Boston Celtics. I was a little worried for them because of the Miami Heat series. And for much of the game yesterday, I was worried because Jason Tatum just was not shooting. He was not being aggressive. But in the end, he showed his worth. Like, he doesn't need to be lights out from three if everyone else is being lights out from three, especially when you're getting 13 assists and assisting off of 35 points in a game. And, hey, those 12 points that he scored, they were necessary. Well, they were. Because the Boston won by 12. They end up feeling like gravy, but you're quite right. They were necessary. It's about 10 minutes past. If you have something you want to contribute today, please do. Has it changed your thought? I think we were getting a lot of Warriors in six. We saw some seven. I think we saw an outlier or two that had uh, Golden State winning in five. I think the shortest I saw Boston winning was six, which makes sense when you're the team that starts off on the road. And that's not to put down Boston in any way. I actually think it's going to be, I still think, this is going to be a great series. I see that there's going to be many, many magical moments in this series that will be worthy of an NBA final. That's sort of how I'm looking at it. I hope that's the case. I still would like Golden State to win, but this is not the kind of – maybe it's just advancing age because I just don't get myself quite as worked up. I save that for family stuff nowadays, one of the things that can really drive you out of your tree. It usually won't be a a turnover and a cross-court pass by a Golden State Warrior. It usually won't be that. It's 11 minutes past the hour. If you have something you want to talk about, uh, we're encouraging you. You can come in and do that with us at any time. It was. Uh, it, this is why I think uh, it's getting to be more fun, especially when you have something tense like the NCAA tournament or this NBA tournament. I mean, some of these things are great fun because they give us a lot of ample, ample opportunity really to reset and then come in the next day, how resilient are you? It's almost like you put yourself in the mind of being a coach because you get worked up about the thing, and then you think, God, I was wrong about that. Think what coaches are going through when they're 30 points wrong. I mean, you're a pro. This is what your job is, and now you got to come completely reset. That has got to be a tough thing to do. Most of these guys do it without even showing that it's tough. I mean, that's probably I, – look, I just watched very briefly Joe Girardi, the who, ma- former Yankees manager who was just with Philadelphia, got fired yesterday. I, got, I watched his demeanor after he's fired. You would never know he got fired. And he's like, yeah, we didn't win enough. I mean, I just thought, God, do you want to talk about reducing it to its most common denominator? That would be it. We just didn't win enough. Well, you got a couple of guys with bad, having bad seasons. Some of the pitching hasn't been what they expected it to be. That's what happens in baseball. Now, especially when you got guys like the Mets that are ridiculously good this year that seem to be getting all the timely hits. They're making all the big-time pitches. And look across, right, go across the city, and the Yankees are doing the same damn thing. Can you imagine how annoying that is to people like in Toronto and Tampa Bay and uh, and Boston, I mean, that is irritating on a major and grand scale. 13 minutes passed. If you have something, go ahead. 
uh, feel free to chime in. You can tell us what you think. Has it changed? We had a ton of six-game wins for Golden State. My guess is about half of them are gone now. I think it would be so much easier just to revise your pick and say, you know what, maybe it's Boston in six. Now, I, would, I'm, I don't do that because I'm, I'm constitutionally incapable of it. If I am rooting for Golden State, I am going to root for them down till, till it's over, till they're down 20 with a minute and a half left and guys start shaking hands. That's when I'll concede it. Just that's how it is, just sort of how I roll. 296-1420 is the number. If you have something special, though, and I, this is, there's a couple of things that are interesting. I think we should start, and I just do want to get to this, because in another week we won't have the NBA playoffs, roughly. Um, you know, it'll be over until football. I want to get to this, because I think this is going to be amazing. I just think there's some coaching decisions to be made on quarterbacks and my guess right now is we're not going to all see the the decision you most expect i don't think we're going to see it in a lot of cities i i'm not sure i'll give you one right off the bat i'm not sure it's going to be mitch trubisky in pittsburgh i i get why that's the more logical he's got the most experience i just don't know if that's exactly the guy that mike tomlin wants at, at the end of the day, you got to believe in your guy. Would you rather have someone that you know is going to need a little seasoning, but who you believe in? If you don't, perhaps, necessarily believe in Mitch Trubisky, 296-1420 is the number. If you have something, go ahead. I, I'm anxious to hear it. There are some situations, I think, where most of us expect good things. I'm seeing if you're on the same page with me on this one, Tanner. Because I, I think Matt Ryan is going to be fine in Indianapolis. I think it's going to be a big improvement on Carson Wentz. Your thought? Cool your Jets. That is a very hot take of yours, Bobby. But um, I do like Matt Ryan. I think he's going to be in a great acquisition for the Indianapolis Colts. You know, for the time that he was with the Falcons, I think the one thing you can say about Matt Ryan is that he was consistent. He was consistently like the 12th to, like, 10th best quarterback, maybe, yeah. other than the one year where he won the MVP. I think that's an MVP that a lot of people forget, is that Matt Ryan won the MVP they the year they went too, to the I Super think. Bowl. And he, he, was a, he was really good. He did a great job. Yep. And I think with the Colts, you have Jonathan Taylor and a really solid offensive line. So much like last year, you don't need to lean on the quarterback. But – for this year, but you also it's so much more dependable yeah. from Matt Ryan than from Carson Wentz. No, no doubt. You because can't have a guy I, soiling the sheets. That's I, out. Because I remember from last year, I was a big, like, this is going to be Carson Wentz's year. He's going to come back. We'll see how good he was like he was the year the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, his passing decisions just have gone downhill, I feel like, from the time where he was an Eagle. Whether it be, you know, because of all the injuries he faced, all of the sacks he had to take while in the last couple of years in Philly, I think just something clicked in Carson Wentz's head where just nothing was getting him to that next step. And I think Matt Ryan, like I said, he's consistent receiving wise. I they I'd like them to get better receiving talent, 
but Pittman is good. They drafted Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, who I think is going to uh, surprise some people because he does have a little bit of sneaky speed for being as tall as he is. And they drafted, like, 1,000 tight ends in the draft this year. So, like, they're going to be all set there. It's just going to be a matter of, of does Matt Ryan not make the same mistakes that Carson Wentz did? And does that well, secondary and that does that secondary step up where they needed to step up last year as well? Okay, fair enough. Let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout. We are going to come right back here. We've got lots of things to talk about in the next segment, including who is going to be the upstart in the NFL this year? Who's going to start out four, five, six, and zero? Oh? Let's get to that right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Aloha Friday edition. I swear that they go back and forth on some names. Okay, Trayvon, Travion, Tavon, Tavion. I mean, you they do this, I swear, just to confuse you. Because I'm trying to think, how can there be so many derivations that are one letter off? Crazy. But uh, Trayvon Henderson, of course, is the back at uh, Ohio State, and he is terrific. I mean, that is a, that's a motor attached to a human body. He's really something. 296-1420. Go ahead. If you have something that you want to talk about. So was it bold for Ryan Day to just go in front of the booth and say, 13 million, need it now? Did you, what did you think when you first heard that? Did you think like, who do you think you are? I mean, what, what was that? What was your thought overall? Well, if we want to talk, yeah, I guess he was really bold. He'd be exactly what the Big West needs because they want to oh, yeah. be the bold. But Ryan Day, this is, I believe, his third year as a head coach. His first year, yeah, he goes to the College Football National Championship and does lose because Justin Fields probably finally succumbed to that broken rib he suffered against Clemson. And then last year, what does he do? He performs the biggest sin you could perform as an Ohio State football head coach, and you lose to Michigan. Michigan. You let Jim Harbaugh beat you. And I think that's another sin. That's another sin. You let Jim Harbaugh into the the college football. Is that not the first time that Harbaugh beat Ohio State? I believe that's the first time that Jim Harbaugh's beat Ohio State. So that's two. That's two sins on you. You let Jim Harbaugh beat you. And then you let Michigan beat you. So to come out here and say, yeah, we went to the national championship once, but uh, didn't even win the Big Ten, divi- your own division in the Big Ten last year. But give with me 13 the best, mil anyway. Probably with the, one of the best quarterbacks Ohio State's going to see in their future in C.J. Stroud, with one of the best receivers in the NCAA next year in Jackson Smith and Jigba. We already talk about Travion Henderson. We already know about this offensive line, and you can't beat Michigan 
And you're going to come out here and say, you know the reason why we couldn't beat them? Because we don't have $13 million. Boosters, I'm, I give me the money, please. They're, That's really they're, something. They're taking away all way. of our players. And it's like, I don't see Michigan complaining about the transfer portal. Like oh, I said, I trust me, just get, like get I mentioned, like right I day. mentioned in buy or sell with Jim Harbaugh's quote, he isn't worried about NIL. What he's selling, he's not selling. This is how much money you can get from playing football in Michigan. He's going like like how Timmy Chang is selling Hawaii football. This is a twenty year commitment you're making when you come to the University of Hawaii. This is going to be a big commitment when you come to the University of Michigan. I mean. You could tell that these are big commitments. RAD Dave Madlin. We we're playing a game up in Michigan for one point nine million dollars. That's crazy. You can't tell me we I don't get that, that if I we don't that. have Dave Matlin who graduated from the University of Michigan. No, that's probably not happening because you wouldn't have a relationship. There's already that Michigan men thing. And do you think that was worth a couple hundred thousand? I'm here to tell you it probably was. And that isn't to say that Ohio State doesn't do that. I know so many Ohio State alums. Or at least I know they're like the friends of my parents uh, who are, you know, diehard Ohio State fans because they went to Ohio State. It's the same. But I think what Ryan Day is doing is he's panicking. And he, right now, that's what you can't be doing. Because it feels like, first of all, personally, when it comes to next year, I got Ohio State top four in co- in the college football next year. So it's not like he needs to be panicking right, right. now. No, he doesn't. Because he has probably, if not the best, one of the best offenses, and they just need their defense to step up, which they tend to do in primetime. They do, but they had problems at the beginning of last year's. And team. they lost to Oregon. Yes. But after that, they stepped they up. screaming to get rid of the coordinator. And if they didn't, lose to Michigan, that's they were going to go into that top four. So if you're Ryan Day, asking for this $13 million is putting a target on the back of your head because now you got the boosters on site. Now they're seeing, okay, you need this. So we're, if we give it to you, you better do something with it. Right, you, you better win a national title this not, year. Yeah, it's not going to be you better – make the top four it's not you better make the national championship heck it better not be you win the national championship by one or two or three points you gotta win the national championship if you're ryan day and you're asking for 13 million dollars you gotta beat down whoever you're going against he's not saying we need 13 million so we can get all these great new players he's saying we just so we can keep the ones we already got because he's worried about having them poached. So he's got to come up with big dough. I think that is the remarkable part of it. 27 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with our next guest. There's a new coach going to be working over at the University of Hawaii. We'll introduce you to him in just a second on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN, Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com.
Welcome back on this uh, Aloha Friday edition. You know, part of the sort of circle of sports life has been a constant moving on of coaches. A lot of times someone looks for a way to increase their family's kind of situation, and that opens up the door for a new person. And that's exactly what happened in the defending national champion volleyball program. Uh, for Charlie Wade, because Josh Walker, who was here for the last two championships, um, has decided to move on. He's going to be an assistant um, on the Baylor's women's program. My, my guess is that would entail a certain raise, Big 12, you know. Um, and But this opens up an opportunity for a former Rainbow Warrior who's also homegrown from Punahou School. Capono Fay is taking that job. Capono, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. I just think that is almost, I saw something that Charlie Wade had said. He said, I can't remember another time that when a guy played here, I was already talking with him about potentially becoming a coach. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, I definitely stayed in touch with Charlie while I was here working and while I was playing overseas after graduating. The opportunity came up, and I'm just grateful he gave me this opportunity to coach this team and be back with the program. What might you think, opponent, would be your strengths as a coach? Strength as a coach, for one, uh, relating with the players, um, using my knowledge from playing at a high level overseas in Europe, um, and just trying to share that with these kids, with these boys, and as well they grow up, and hopefully they play overseas as well. Well, for you to have come full full circle, I mean, from not only playing your local volleyball here at Punahou, but then to go on. I mean, your mom your mom was an athlete, worked at Punahou. You had a grandfather that played football. I mean, you come from pretty good athletic genes. Yeah, we didn't really realize it even until after I committed to UH that I'd be like a third-generation UH athlete with my mom playing basketball here as well. So it was pretty exciting, and to see it come full circle is just – Super exciting as well, and the family is really happy about that. Is there any portion of the coaching kind of milieu that you're concerned about? What If you, someone was to say, what are the things you want to make sure go right, right out of the jump, what would they be? Yeah, I definitely, don't, I definitely got big shoes to fill with Josh, and I just want to say that. And I definitely don't want to lose a step coming off a national championship and just to have a smooth transition. That's my number one goal. And my second goal is just to learn as much as I can from Charlie and from Milan. They've created such an amazing program here, and I just want to learn as much as I can from them. Well, I think this is an unbelievable opportunity. Just to be able to kind of complete the circle is is fairly remarkable. You don't see it all the time. Yeah, and yeah, it's rare. And I'm just happy to. I'm happy for this opportunity. Um, I'm really excited to be back. To be excited to be back with the program, to be working with Charlie Milan, and exactly full circle, being able to play under Charlie Milan and now working with them is something that's going to be truly special. What's your sense, and I'm sure you've developed this because even when you played internationally, you, you have a sense of it because a big part of the college coaching game is recruiting. How is that? Is that going to be sort of new level stuff for you? Have you already formed some opinions on what the best way to go about that is. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a little new territory for me, something I would have to learn and mature and uh, learn as we go. But, you know, I think Charlie would understand, Milano would understand. Like, 
I believe these colors, you know, I can sell UH very well. I loved my time at UH. I loved uh, coming here, and I think it's the best place in the country to play. So I don't think I'll have a problem really selling that to these kids and wanting to get these top recruits uh, to come play for us. You know, Capono, we're talking with Capono Faye, who's the newest hire on Charlie Wade's staff, a guy who played his collegiate volleyball here, uh, born and raised in Honolulu. I think it's it's a great thing that he's coming back here. I, I think you'll be very successful at it, Capono, and I'm anxious to see how it works. When you get out on the recruiting trail, who better to sell a program than a guy who's played in it? I, I just kind of feel like... Because even when you travel around and catch a game at other venues, I mean, at most schools, it's friends and family. We say, oh, it's an F&F crowd. I mean, in mm -hmm. Hawaii, people go nuts. They live and die with the volleyball team. That's not happening <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely a small community in the volleyball world. And I'm really excited. That's definitely one of my strengths as well, you know, being a local kid and trying to recruit these local boys to stay home and play for UH. Um, and then going and recruiting, selling how great Hawaii is. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be really exciting. When we see some of these uh, really good players, there's a kid now that's uh, he's sort of their version, Long Beach State's version of Arado. I mean, that kid who's, mm -hmm. I mean, he seems like he's a really good player. I said to Charlie, well, how did he get away from the same town as Arado? He goes, we got bad intel. I was like, good <laughs> God, whoever gave you that intel, fire them. Um, anyway, but you'll be going. Where did you play internationally? Are you familiar with some of those parts, Serbia, for example? Uh, other places have the, are those part of the places you traveled through? Um, I haven't been to Serbia, but I played in Italy for three years in one of the top leagues in the world, and I played in Greece for one year. Cool. So I've actually met Spiros's father. Wow. Uh, while playing in Greece. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I played against a lot of the top. Serbian national team players, Bulgarian national team players in Italy. So, you know, I, I've known I've known a lot of them, so I don't think I'll be a problem. And I'm excited to go to Serbia and recruit some of those kids. Okay, let me ask, do you have uh, a working knowledge of some of those European languages? I can talk a little Italian, but... Oh, that's cool. Definitely. Here's my thing. Can you order in a restaurant? Yeah, of course. There you go. Yeah, I mean, that's a big... That's, that's the main thing, yeah. No kidding. Once you've conquered that, anything's possible. And where's the restroom? Where's the no, restroom? No, good. That's, that's another key one. <laughs> yeah. Capono Fay, congratulations. Uh, it's good to have the chance to talk with you in person, and I'm thrilled that you're getting an opportunity that I, I imagine you're looking at as the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, Bobby. I'm really excited for, for this upcoming season and what, what the future holds. Good luck to you. Capono Fay. Uh, born and raised a UH graduate who had a great career here and now joins the coaching staff. We, uh, we, got, oh, we got a minute or two, I think, before I have to take a break. And uh, that, I just think he's going to be terrifically successful. That's, that is, you could just hear it. He's, well, the one thing he's got right off the bat, as so many of our Hawaii kids have, he's got a humility that you don't often see, like from the kids on the mainland. I uh, Like, I was, for example, just overhearing in the back of a, a match on TV because that great outside hitter for Long Beach State, T.J. DeFalco, I remember thinking he didn't seem to have 
what I would call a cupono fade level of humility. Let's just leave it at that. 296-1420, the number. It's 20 minutes before 8 o'clock. This is a great time if you want to jump in on something. There is, uh, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for this edition of University of Hawaii Rainbow Warrior football. I, there is a new excitement with the Brotherhood and Timmy Chang coming in and so many of the guys that played here in the past, the Chris Browns. I think that's really exciting. I'm, I don't know if it's going to be instant success because here's my thought, and, and some of you may share this, but I think because it took a little while for the transition to decide what was going to happen with Todd Graham, to get the hiring underway and in place for Timmy Chang. Over that time period, a lot of Hawaii's best players went into the portal. I'm just saying, just to be fair, I mean, just look on offense just to start. I mean, Day-Day Hunter, Shevin Cordero, Nick Mardner. I mean, that's three big losses. And then go to defense. I mean, Jonah Laulu. Uh, that combine that with Darius Muisau, you know, Corey Bethley, I mean, that we're talking big losses here. That is, uh, you know, that's a problem, I think. Those are very, very good uh, players that are hard to replace. So I don't think it's impossible over the course of a couple of years to replace those guys with good players. I just think it's tough to happen instantly. Because I, let's face it, we live in an instant culture. Everybody wants everything now. Well, I don't know if that's how quite how it's going to happen. Here's what I do hope, because Timmy Chang is doing an unbelievable job, I think. I mean, I look on the TV. Every time I turn around, he's, a, he's visiting someplace. He's talking to people. He gets out. He doesn't just sit in the office. And that's been really kind of a different level deal, his willingness to engage the community, I think that's going to help. That's going to buy you the time that you need to be successful here. That's my, that's my take on it. Um, and then let's hope he can get out. They took a great approach with the portal. They didn't rush into it. They looked to get guys that they thought could really help them. And, and I think that's the way to go. You want to rush in and do it wholesale. No need. So I think they spread it out a little bit, and that would seem to have been a good approach. It's 43 minutes past the hour. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii. Welcome back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program. We're talking about, and this was our private deal, like who might be more successful, Tua Tango-Vailoa or Marcus Mariota, a couple of St. Louis quarterbacks in the NFL. And I, I, listen, I think the temptation would say, well, Tua's now got a team around him. They have went and got, they've got a couple of guys at running back. They picked up three, total of three offensive linemen. You've got 
one of the quickest receivers in the entire NFL in Tyreek Hill. You have added also that backup receiver uh, uh, from the Dallas Cowboys. I kind of think those were good selections. I said Rick Wilson can play. I actually think this should be a very improved Dolphins offense. That That's my take on it. Now, you go down the street, sort of, so to speak, uh, up the interstate to Atlanta, and I don't see the proliferation of weapons for Marcus. I think Marcus is going to have to do a lot on his own. Fortunately, he's a veteran. He's been around. He, You know Marcus will get out of the pocket and pick up first downs. He'll do whatever it takes. But I just don't think you could make the claim that this comparable, all right, they got Kyle Pitts. But past that, is there a guy, and now Drake London apparently, who you like, I not sold entirely. Like I would never have taken him ahead of Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, or Chris Olave. That would not have been my guy. So, listen, we'll see. He may end up being the best of the group, but I just, he wouldn't have been my choice. I like guys that can run. I'll say for the Atlanta Falcons, I think Drake London was the correct choice. Because where Garrett Wilson, Olave, Jamison Williams, they already have that guy next year in Calvin Ridley. They all play the same. They're fast, they're good route runners, and they're good deep threats. But I think with the Arthur Smith system, because he is more of a power running guy, just don't ask me who their running back is. Don't ask me who any of their offensive lineman is. Can't really help you much there. But to have a guy like Drake London, who I think is very, very comparable to Mike Evans, you got a big, tall receiver who you hope is going to help you a lot in the running game because we saw how good of a run blocker Mike Evans has been for Tampa Bay for such a long time, and he's got the physical ability to do it. He's, He's probably even faster than Mike Evans. True, we haven't seen it because he was injured this entire offseason, but I think when you looked at Drake London throughout the entire NFL draft process, a lot of people just said, well, he's just a faster Mike Evans. And how are you not taking that? Because Mike Evans, I don't think has, I think he has yet to not have an 1,000-yard receiving season in his entire right, career. He's a good player. So he is one, he's one of the best right, NFL receivers. You could not argue against him being a first-rate NFL receiver. That would not hold any water with me if someone tried to make that claim. I think what you've got, though, what you don't have in Atlanta that you do have in Miami, I mean, you have not only Tyreek Hill. If Tyreek Hill isn't the fastest guy in the league, it might be Waddle. I think that's possible. I think you got two of the best deep threats in the entire NFL on the same team. Does that strike you that way? I mean, I mean, they kept saying, I remember Eli Gold telling me, because we were talking about Devontae Smith and some of the other guys, and he said, nah, nobody runs like Jalen Waddle on that team. He's the one. He's the fastest guy on that Alabama football team. And now you watch Tyree Kill. And I, I would have said, if someone said to me, of all the NFL receivers, who would you say is the guy that takes the top off a of defense better than I would have said Tyree Kill. He runs away from more guys than anybody else in the league. I, that's my take on it. So you got two of those guys? I mean, how good could that be Can potentially for Tua? And funnily enough, about Tyreek Hill, he could take the top off the defense. I remember the one criticism of Tyreek Hill is, oh, but 
He's not going to have Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball 40-plus yards down the field. Tyreek Hill was used as a run-after-the-catch guy. He was catching screens. He was catching flats, slants, yep. posts, outs, ins. Oh, yeah, and also he'd probably run a streak down the field once or twice, probably down the game. So a lot of people, you know, like, oh, Tyreek's going to be so disappointed in the arm strength of Tua. It's like he doesn't need to do that. Especially because they're working on an improving you, you offensive saw, line. Apparently, did you see the passes that I've Tua, seen the passes, but I've also Tua's does not. Ha- I never did anyone say when he was in high school, being recruited at Alabama, ascending to the starting job. I never heard anybody at Alabama say, "Oh yeah, it's a shame that Tua's got such a weak arm." I, I will never say heard ever. I will say in the NFL, he hasn't had the ability to show that arm strength. But you probably weigh that against his very weak offensive line. So you probably take that with a grain of salt. I just want to see it in the NFL because I've, it's been two years, and he's probably had, you know, a, like a handful of deep throws. I remember one last year. It looked not the best, but that was when, when he had the time to throw down the field. Which he is, got is it rare. down the field, and it may have not looked like the best ball, but it still got there. And that's just going to be what Tua is going to be facing this entire year. He already addressed it yesterday in his press conference after he gave Tyreek Hill two 60-plus touchdowns in OTAs. He said, you know, the Twitter warriors aren't out here working hard with us every day in practice. It's like, I don't know if you guys recorded the – I don't know if you guys recorded the last one to Tyreek Hill, but – and then he was like, Psh, and he gave, like, the uh, action of catching it you know, in the basket, like for Tyreek, is like that. I think that one was money, right. as the entire well, uh, as the, all the reporters laugh with him. What I think is funny is that Tua has never been suffering from a lack of self confidence. He had that when he showed up as a freshman at Alabama. He has that belief that he can make all the plays, that he's a good quarterback. He just that he doesn't suffer. That's internal. He has that, and that I don't think it ever wavered under Brian Flores. I think he was happy the day Chan Gailey walked out the door. Oh, oh, you're a rookie. We're just checking you down all the time. It's like, thank you, but that's not really what I'm good at. You know, everybody forgets when he threw that pass at, in the, right at the end of the Georgia game to Devontae Smith for the game winner. That was a beautiful deep pass. It was a perfect spiral. It came down right in over his shoulder. It's funny, and I never heard anything about this weak arm until the following year when he was coming off an injury. And I will say with Tua, because you were talking about his confidence, and I think that's the one thing that differs from him from other similar kind of Hawaii athletes or Hawaii quarterbacks. When you see them out in the NFL or in interviews, the first thing you always think of, oh, they're so humble. They're so quiet. They lead through their actions. Right. And we saw that with Marcus, you know? He was never a guy to, like, come out. Toot his own horn. Toot his own horn because, you know, he had Taylor Lewan to do that for him okay. or Taylor Lewan to or fight to, his own fight. defend anybody exactly. who didn't cover him. So yeah. I think Rich Eisen yesterday had put it the best, whereas, like, I don't think this is, like, confident Tua. This is salty Tua. Tua sees all this as much as he tells you he doesn't look at all of it. He sees what's happening. He sees everyone trying to talk him down. And he's like, come on, come on, you're not out here. Watch me play, then, then, then make your opinion, please. I actually think Tua will have an excellent season. That's what I'm predicting. 
I think he's got the right – I think Mike McDaniel's the right coach. I think he's going to experiment, and Tua loves the creative stuff. Tua is a way better runner than people think. He is he's never shy about taking off and picking up first downs. I think some people thought because he had that catastrophic hip injury that, oh, he's fragile. Just I just want to say, you, went, you grew up and went to school here. How many fragile Polynesians did you know? It's not part of the culture here. It's not fragility is not something you associate with most Polynesians. Simple, listen, that's just the fact. So that you can, you know, people can say what they want. I've had coaches tell me, you, I would rather have 11 Polynesians. This was a guy from a small college in Oregon, and he said, I would take the every single one of them. He goes, because they have discipline, they accept coaching, and they work their tail off. I was like, what's wrong? Now, can you tell me what's a better prescription for a successful football player than those things? And then the thing with Miami is they don't have to rely on just Tua. Like last year, yeah, the running back room was like, what, Miles Gaskin, uh, it was another Philip Lindsay. Well, Philip Lindsay, and he he, he joined yeah, late. He joined late, and he I thought he was actually doing a good job. Me that too. was a really I, great I, addition. I really like him. Now look at the running back room. Like you still got Miles Gaskin. I'm not sure. I think Philip Lindsay's gone. I don't remember. You got though. Chance Ed- Edmonds, right? Right. But now they signed Chase Edmonds. They signed Raheem Mostert, and now they signed Sony Michelle. That's Those great. are three guys that are starters really in the players. NFL. Good players, no And question. them, alongside Miles Gaskin, who started the last two years, that running back room, alongside Teron Armstead, who's still getting healthy, they're getting Connor Williams, moving him to center, and from all reports, Austin Jackson making the move to right tackle Is has it, been stellar for the Miami Dolphins. So sounds maybe, like they got are that we, problem fixed. Are we hyping up this Miami Dolphins squad? Probably. But I think it's just because we got high expectations because, hey, it sounds like Tua's got some protection. And if you give any quarterback any kind of protection, wide receivers, running backs, an amazing tight end, a really good defense, what else can you expect except the playoffs? I, I hear you. I'm a, I, and I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm expecting the playoffs for the Miami Dolphins. I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. I don't think that they're going to win 13 games or anything, but I think they're a playoff team. We're going to take a quick timeout right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN, Honolulu, and the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program. I'm taking a quick glance outside our perch high above downtown Honolulu, and it is another gorgeous day in paradise. Hope it finds you well. we got a lot of things uh, to talk about. We've got a birthday in our house this weekend, so I'm waiting to see now. We're waiting for the soon-to-be 19-year-old to render judgment on when he's willing to you know, have break bread with us. We're making the, how about the, this offer if you're a high school kid? And he's not, he's college now, of course, but, but if freshman in college, he's just wrapped up that year. And as he's quick to remind us, two semesters of Dean's List. So he's, he's full of himself right now. So he was told, any restaurant you want, we're hosting. You just pick it. Can't get an answer. 
When I was 19, you wouldn't have had to wait 30 seconds to get an, uh, an educated offer or selection off the list of restaurants where I lived on Long Island. I mean, and I could do it here even easier. So I'm just saying, okay, what, what, what's the deal? Are you waiting for to see if there's a better offer coming down the pike? 296-1420 is the number. And I, this is one of those things. Every family's got their tradition because my wife worked in restaurants for so long, and I did too, actually, but not in the sort of way she was, where putting clients into restaurants, telling people, don't do that, you'll blow your life savings, et cetera. So she's done all this, and she knows a lot of restaurateurs. So, and I worked in restaurants, so I had a good connection there too. We were, we're people that know our way around a restaurant. Let's put it that way. I just thought, what better? Every family's got their traditions. Ours has always been give these guys options because usually Joe can find some way to make it part of a work life so they can go out and eat in really nice restaurants. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I never had much of that when I was growing up. There wasn't a lot of that. The oldest of five. You saw the inside of a restaurant. It was to apply for a job. 296-1420. Sam is on the line. What's up, Sam? Morning, Bobby. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm doing well, but I just wanted to uh, say my law Friday. First off, HBD to your son. That's awesome, man. Cool. It was a great weekend. Yeah. And I uh, want to get your two, t your, your two cents on that uh, like game one yesterday. I don't know, man. I mean, uh, like Stephen A. said at the end, he's still like Warriors and seven, but he's iffy about it. What do you think, man? I mean, that was it. Really showed that uh, the young studs in the in the late in the late eight hours of the game, they really could turn it on, you know. Yeah, you you know, I think flipping switches is dangerous, but um, I think that in this case, I think they I think they're going to have to do that because they had that game in control in the first quarter. You couldn't yeah. have asked for a better performance from Steph Curry, in my opinion. But he can't—he cannot do it by himself. I, I think uh, some of the other guys did not play well yesterday. I mean, just being honest, I, I didn't think Wiggins had a great game. I didn't think nope. Draymond Green had a great game, and Jordan Poole was god awful. Yeah, so, it was awful. I, I I agree, buddy. So you know, if you have that happen, you're not going to do well, and. Everybody acceded to this. This is a this is a Boston Celtic team with leaders and energy and some competitive fight. I mean, I, I just look at a guy like Smart and say, that that is the kind of guy you want leading your team. He's one of 100%. those type of guys. Uh, there's no other way around it. So I expect that. Now, listen, I was annoyed when I saw him laying all over Curry's back in the paint. I, that annoys me because that's against that's listen. I know the rules pretty well in this stuff. That's against the rules. Call it. What, what are you doing? You're letting that go. So I listen. Other people say, ah, stop whining. It's the playoffs. Are the officials supposed to be? Is the officiating supposed to be different in the playoffs? Hell no, it's not. I, I agree. I mean, but, but you know, you know when when you when you body Curry, when you when you when you bump him and you get him uncomfortable, you rattle him and it's not the same kind of player, you know. So. That's that's the, you know, they exploited that yesterday, but yeah, I mean I know that fourth quarter. I mean Al, Al Horford turning around like that in the fourth quarter. I like, know, what it's crazy. the heck? Yeah, I didn't expect that, you know. Jesus, but he's a good Brown, That guy got every shot he wanted, you know. No, so, no question. Yeah. It was frustrating if you're a Warrior fan, and I am. But it's I still think it's going to be a great series. I couldn't tell you who's going to win, especially now. 
I would have said uh, I'm favoring Golden State. If they lose on Sunday, it's, then that whole thing turns around. It's tough. They got Warriors. Got to get one in Boston for sure. You know. Yeah. So we'll see, man. But I appreciate you, Bobby. Have a good All right, weekend, thanks. Man. Appreciate it, Sam. Go ahead. Two nine six fourteen twenty. If you have something that you want to talk about, listen. I I have heard this for years. When people have more physical players than another team, they like they feel like they should be able to play bully ball all day. That that's okay. So somehow that's acceptable. It's not acceptable when their guy is a more skilled player, has more finesse, has put in thousands more hours on the practice gym, and then it's going to be obviated by someone who's pushing, shoving, and grasping, and you know, and stretching jerseys. I mean, come on. I just don't want. I don't want to see that turn into that. Listen. I get that there's going to be some of that gotten away with playoff basketball. You know, if I hear Mark Jackson say that one more time, it's playoff basketball. Okay, stop. The rules don't change for playoff basketball. They're not supposed to. That, you know what that reminds me a little of? It reminds me a little of the people who say, wow, that's his strike zone, you know, the umpires. No, well, that's his strike zone. Okay, you're not supposed to have your own strike zone. There is a strike zone. You are supposed to interpret that. You're not supposed to make up your own strike zone. There's not making up your own rules for playoff basketball either. Just saying. That does not the way it works. Seven minutes past the hour. But if you get away with it, I guess it worked. 296-1420. I still look at that fourth quarter score. 40 to 16. I can't believe my eyes. That is so unlike... Okay, I had I came armed with this stat for the game yesterday, which was kind of fun. In terms of clutch shooting, what they're talking about, shots made inside of three minutes in a game, in a competitive game. Okay, the Boston Celtics are 29th in the league at that. That is not, by the way, a good number. 29th in the league in clutch shooting is not a good number. And, of course, the Golden State Warriors are on the other end of that. That's the way that is. So, I mean, should that shock you or surprise you? No. Probably not. That probably shouldn't surprise you. It's You're not surprised, certainly, that Golden State's on the high end of that. But does that mean it's going to be absolutely guaranteed, like, to the percentage point? No, it doesn't work that way either. So, you, you're going to get a team, and Golden State was a little tick off yesterday, with the exception of Curry, in my opinion. He was one of six on his threes after the first quarter. So that wasn't good, but he was on fire in the beginning. But I put that somewhat on the coaching staff. So you're in a really competitive game. You had a two-point advantage despite the fact that Curry's lights out in the first quarter, and then you're going to sit him for the first six minutes of the second half? I don't care if it's your routine. Not yesterday. That's not the game to do that because you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in, and they did. It's exactly what happened. So I just feel like you sometimes you just got to read the game and say, you know what, maybe this is not the day to have Steph out first six minutes of the second quarter, first five minutes of the fourth quarter. Maybe that's not like going to work today as well. Go ahead if you have something. 296, 1420 is the number. But does that seem crazy to you? I just think. You do, why would you just go with the same tired routine? Okay, maybe he's used to it. That's fine. Yesterday's game didn't allow for it.
because Boston was right on their heels like the hounds of hell because they weren't they knew they couldn't let the Golden State Warriors get away from them and they didn't to their credit so anyway we've got a couple of things I do like smart I, you know, he's one of those guys, I, you love him. If he was on your team, you'd, it would be unconditional. I would really love him. But because he's on an opponent, you know, I can respect him and admire him, but not can't be full, full bore. He's also become, since Oklahoma State, he's become a much, much better shooter than he used to be. That's not even close. We have seen this with some of the pros that have really put the time in that they've just changed their patterns on shooting and completely and i'll give you an example of a guy who did it himself jason kidd who's now coaching of course but jason kidd is a different guy now he's with he's with the mavs but he was not a great shooter when he started in the pros he made himself a great shooter 296 1420 go ahead if you have something there was a lot of really poor passes thrown in transition yesterday, both teams. And that's, I'm not singling one out. This was both teams. I, you say to yourself, you guys are the best in the game. You're pros. Should that be happening? <laughs> I'm just saying, can we like have our turnovers be at least close to completed passes? Thank you very much. Go ahead if you have some. Eleven minutes past the hour. I tell you, there's one pass that was almost really bad for the Boston Celtics. It was in transition. And Jalen Brown was going down the court, and there was one Golden State defender. And Peyton Pritchard and Jason Tatum were on top of each other. But Peyton was closer to the basket. And I remember Jalen Brown passes it forward, and the first thing I see is Jason Tatum stretch. And I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And luckily, he misses the ball, but Peyton catches the ball because he was the intended receiver. And gets the layup. But that was just like, if that didn't happen, I was going to be like, this is this is it for us. We're, we're messing up and all that. But luckily, you it know, worked. like you said, there was, I think Jason Tatum even had a uh, pass that was just out of the fingers from somebody in transition after a huge block by Robert Williams. But it was an amazing game. It was so much fun watching well, it. And that's going to be, I think Sunday is likely to be every bit as good. These teams have very good players that are playing at a high level. That is the two most fundamental ingredients to get a great NBA game. Especially after those conference final series where there was just bad game after bad game. I know. Every it seemed night. like you, you never knew which team, but somebody was winning by 23 points. You know, it just took some of the fun out of it. You couldn't say that about this one. That's for sure. It's 13 minutes past the hour. If you have. Uh, this is a good time if you want to check in. You may not want to weigh in on this next topic. I, I don't know that anyone needs to be hard and fast about this, but when I start to hear some teams complain about officiating, now a lot of times in the hands of players I get that. I would say Draymond Green is one of the worst complainers in the entire league. He can't let something go. Even when it's marginal, I, I don't know. Does he expect in his heart of hearts to get every call? Is that really what goes on there? Well, I think it's just a setup for the next time something similar happens. Because will, I will say, the first half, there were a lot more calls than, than there were in the second half. Yeah. So maybe some of that talking went through, whether it be Draymond. I think Marcus is probably another guy who talks. It's going to be your best defender who's yeah. probably going to be talking to the refs, being like, 
no, that didn't happen. This is actually what happened. So if when it comes to those stuff, when I see them arguing, I know they're not arguing for like you have you can't do that. This is what I was doing. But it was more of a, hey, look, I'm gonna be I'm gonna keep on doing this. And this is not a foul. So just so you know that, this is what I'm doing. That's funny. Because when you got the the players, they're going to tell the officials what constitutes a foul. That tells you where you're at somewhat, doesn't it? 296-1420 is the number. It's 14 minutes past 8 o'clock. Let's do this. We'll take a quick timeout. Right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. striking distance and you know they made shots late so we'll um you know, we'll be fine we'll f figure out the ways we can stop them from getting those threes and uh and take them away but no i don't think it was a rhythm thing we pretty much dominated the game for the first 41 42 minutes so we'll be fine don't know if I would have them dominating 41 minutes because here's the way I saw it. I know, but I'm saying first quarter, I, I didn't see it the way Draymond saw it is one of my point is because I thought Steph Curry did everything possible. Almost nobody else helped him. It was a two-point game at the end of the first quarter. So it was also close at halftime. Okay, where they got the edge was in the third quarter when they developed the 12-point lead. That's where I would say it had, and from there, it fell apart. 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter at home? Listen, I think you, it happens in this league. It's more so now than it ever has been before because players shoot the ball so well. You get a team that's hot and suddenly they're ferocious. Conversely, one that's cold can't throw the ball in the ocean standing on the beach. That was unfortunate yesterday for Golden State. But it doesn't mean that's going to indicate anything about Sunday, which is fun because we're going to talk with Bob Ryan from ESPN. Now, he's been his first gig in the pros was covering the Celtics. So it's still, I think, close to a first love. And he's watched, watched this team plenty. Got Don on the line. What's up, Don? Hey, Bobby, thanks for taking my call. You sure. know, I, I listened to the game on the radio. Uh was was unbelievable. I hate Boston because, you know, Danny Ainge, I can't stand the guy. But right. anyway, there's a famous quote by Benjamin Franklin. By failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. So uh, I, I'm quite sure they're going to be prepared, the Warriors, for the next game. But uh, to allow that many uh, three-point shots with uh, not, not containing that, that was uh, un 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 uncalled for. But they were uncontested. I look forward to you're the next right. Game. They were uncontested. How, what made you think? 
that you could afford to stay that far off Boston's players. They, they practice every day, too. I mean, I just thought that was bad defense. Correct, and I think uh, they, they should address that in the next game and the games after, but it'll be interesting what happens in the next uh, second game and thereafter. I'll, I'll be listening on the radio. Thanks Good for stuff. Guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the call. 296-1420 is the number. I have to say, I still do enjoy. I, I like radio. There's some sports really lend themselves to radio. In my mind, it's probably baseball first and ba and basketball second in terms of games that I think lend themselves to radio broadcasts um, because you get just nuances and descriptions. You're just not going to get by somebody putting the captions on pictures on TV. 296-1420 is the number. If you have something you want to chat about, now is the perfect time. You may have been disappointed with the Warriors. I think we have more Warriors than Celtics fans here. Although, maybe more Celtics fans than you'd think. It's not like it could be, you know, it's not like it could be San Antonio or somebody where out of nowhere suddenly people are fans. You got Rand on the line? What's up? Oh, Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, I'm actually a Boston fan. And, uh, you know, game two, I think it's going to be the opposite. I think Golden State is going to want to be on fire. And Boston, I think, going to be cold. This seems like how the playoffs is going. When there's a team that's hot the next game, you think that will carry over. But most times it doesn't, especially yeah. on the road. So I, I would accept, uh, honestly, I think Golden State is probably going to blow out game two. Game three is the one I'm kind of looking at more of anything. I don't think... I'm not sure about game two. I think I think Golden State is going to roll on that one. You know, we've seen that pattern in these playoffs. We've seen teams come back and suddenly you say, "What's the rhyme or reason?" You lost at home by 20, they come back the next day, win by 30. It's like it's crazy what has happened. But I think the margins now for error are smaller than they've been. First of all, these two teams are really good. They're really well coached. They both play pretty good defense. I mean, they generally, I would say I have issues with how Golden State defended, particularly in the fourth quarter. But as a general rule, and the analytics prove it, that's a good defensive team. It's the second best one in the league. And guess who's number one? Boston. So I just think you do have teams that defend. Now it's going to be who makes the big shots, who can get stops when you absolutely need one. Uh, that's going to be critical mass on Sunday. I, I am not sure that Golden State can go down 2-0 at home and still come back and win the series. I just I think, think so either. I just think you got to win. On, if you're the Golden State Warriors, you got to win on Sunday. I think they will. I think they're going to make adjustments. But And you're a Boston fan. I know. I know, but I'm being realistic about I love Golden State, too. Yeah. I love how they play. But well, I'm, so I'm do I. I think but what these two teams have, they both move the ball around. They don't. They get stuck in ISO ball all the time, which is what I. One of the things I stopped really loving about the NBA. Back in, back in, back in. Two guys on one side, three guys watching. You know, and then like watching a guy turn around, and make a turnaround jumper from four feet. I'm not interested in that. I way well, prefer, my prefer what we're seeing Go now. Golden State hasn't played a team that's like Boston in the playoffs. They play teams that always this one guy with Dallas, this one guy with Luka, with Memphis, one guy. I think they picked Denver the first one, one guy. Boston can 
can beat you in many ways. Not Taylor only had twelve points. Yeah. So many guys we saw Al Horford not only yesterday but in the Milwaukee series go off. We saw Grant Williams go off. Marcus Smart go off in the Milwaukee series. So multiple guys can. Yeah, no question. I, as, yeah. I like Boston's team. I don't agree with the people who say, "Oh, Golden State has so much more depth." I don't. I think they both have pretty good depth. When you can come in yeah. with guys like Devin White and Peyton Pritchard, that's pretty <clears> good in your backcourt. I'm just saying yeah. that's pretty good. You're you're moving guys. I mean, Daniel Tice may not be an all-pro type guy, but I'll tell you what, he gives you six big-time fouls. That's really what the guy gives you. He's judicious in his use of them, and he's not afraid to stick his nose in either. So exactly. He probably give ten fouls but get called for six. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Good. Thank you for the call. I appreciate you. It's 26 minutes past the hour. Now, we're going to – get our final guest together pretty quickly. We have Bob Ryan from ESPN, who's been doing this since the flood. In fact, I think, if I remember correctly, at the first Boston Garden, I think he met Noah outside. Uh, he needed a couple of little helpful hints on on his, uh, his rowing device. Anyway, we'll talk to him about his history with the Boston Celtics. Let's take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. You are listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. Back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program, want to welcome... Our next guest, who is uh, can do anything in the world of sports, but I do believe his first professional gig was with the same Boston Celtics. Let's welcome Bob Ryan from ESPN. Hey, Bob, how are you? I'm good, and that's correct. I started covering that team when I was 23 years old, and uh, that was my first uh, beat, yes. I, I want to get to this because I bas playoff basketball, I would say I don't think it's so much confusing as it's a bit confounding. I just, when I, when I hear guys talk about, oh, it's playoff basketball, as if there's a separate set of rules that are operative, I just can't stand that. I mean, yesterday I'm watching Marcus Smart literally lay in the paint on Steph Curry's back. I am like, okay, in what universe is this not a foul? And that answer, like the Mark Jackson, it's playoff basketball. I just can't stand it. Does that, did that ever bother you? No, not really. I mean, you learn right away that, uh, you know, I mean, go back over 50 years now, you know, uh, and, and it's a lot more genteel now than it was then, let me assure you. And uh, uh, so that, I don't even remember that play, Bobby. I'll be honest, honest to God, I have no idea what you're talking about. I truly don't. And uh, um, I'm, I'm just used to smart, aggressive, shall we say, occasionally reckless style yeah. of play. But um, anyway, um, you know, I think it's just understood certain things, the referees, I, I think they ought to allow them to play a little more. And, uh, and, and, but it's always a judgment call. And, I mean, and, and, and what the, what the, how, how loose the reins are, I'll put it that way. But I, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm listening to it. I'm going, my God, uh, this, this game has gotten so finessey compared, and tell me with the Warriors that, you know, uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't have any impression. There was a little bit of rugged uh, physical nature in the Milwaukee series, but you're not going to see much of that in this series. No, I don't think. I, you know, and I, I think it's better for basketball generally when people are 
not pushing, shoving, grasping. I mean, I remember with Shaquille at some points back in that era, it was so out of hand. I mean, he'd be just lowering his shoulder, knocking a guy across the baseline, and then just going up and laying it in, and that was okay. I yeah, was like, that was he was the referees would tell you, Bobby. He's one of the hardest guys to. Uh, in that time, he was the hardest guy to referee. Yeah. Now, Will was there was you know he was the in terms of the physical overpowering nature of his game, he was the, the this generation's answer to Wilt Chamberlain back in the fifties and sixties yeah. and in the early seventies, and and uh, you know the same thing was true. Wilt got fouled. Ten times more times than they ever called it, and, but and certainly you're right. In the last 25, 30 years, nobody uh, th- was fouled more often without getting a, a trip to the line than, than Shaquille O'Neal. On the other hand, uh, when he uh, asserted himself to go to the basket, nobody committed more offensive fouls and didn't get called either. It yes. was just—he just was a monstrous body and and, and a. Yeah, and, and sort of a force yeah, of nature, I guess. Absolutely, and yeah. and there's no one left in the game with that stature. Lest I leave a bad impression, I really like Marcus Smart. I think he's the, I think he's the soul of that team, uh, of Boston. He is a guy that just never ever accepts anything but everybody's best effort. And I, I think that's how you get a leader. That's how you win championships. You got to well, have a guy like that. He uh, he definitely is, is a, a young veteran in that regard, and he is 27 years old now. Uh, but, um, yeah, he has that personality. He called out. After all, back in December, he did call out Jason Jalen uh, uh, Brown and Jason Tatum, uh, and, and uh, there was a lot of publicity about that. But they understood. They, you know, they're, they're – it's 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 a three musketeer kind of thing, and sure. he's definitely uh, the, the 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 spokesperson of the trio. I want to get your thought on Jason Tatum. He's a he's in a magnificent player. Yesterday, I think he had the assist record for a guy in his NBA Finals debut. I mean, he can really distribute the basketball, and that's despite not really being in a rhythm in his offensive game. Now, now that's he has a versatile game, and yesterday he did not. He shot three for seventeen, and he helped the team win with thirteen assists. And and uh, this, I was thinking as I was watching it unfold that uh, I've seen Bird do that. And you know, uh, when you have a, a rounded skill set, you can shoot and pass because Larry is the greatest passing forward of all time. But this kid guy uh, can pass the ball, and that's that's been the, the the turning point in his season was when he started to trust and and feel that it was worthwhile passing the ball and that that really transform that transformation took place in january and since then he's been uh, balancing off his skill in, in a much better way and yesterday was proof that that uh, uh he, he doesn't have to score to, to be an important player on the team but uh, i he wouldn't I'll tell you this bobby that game wouldn't have transpired in, in november in december he was not capable of that kind of thought process to, to play a game yeah. such as that no, no way let me get your thought uh, there's a couple of guys here that i think are really interesting on this team they trade midseason for Devin White I, I think in a couple of the games that I've seen in the playoffs he's been absolutely critical to their efforts when they got him from San Antonio uh, I said oh okay who is he uh, I he's escaped my I mean I knew right. vaguely aware that Derek White was in the league but I hadn't paid any attention to him so I looked him up oh my god he has scored 15 last year a game I didn't know that oh my god he's scoring 14 a game this year oh my god I didn't know that uh, he, he San Antonio has become a team that is operating uh, in these days under the radar after having been the most successful team of the first you know tw- 20 years of the century so um, 
uh, he, he's, it turns out he, he can defend. Uh, he's a versatile player. Uh, he fits into their scheme of, of constant switching uh, on defense. And uh, they eyed him for specific reasons. When he first started, the first two weeks or so, he, he was making his shots, and he was a revelation. It was great. And then he lost his shot for a long time. And he really didn't start discovering it until the, you know, this, almost now. And, and uh, this, the guy you're watching now, we hadn't seen for you know, almost you know, six, eight weeks. And uh, he's, he's really making a tremendous contribution. Let's face it, without his, with him doing what he did yesterday, there would have been no successful comeback. So if he's going to continue to play like this, they have really got an important piece of the puzzle, no question. I, you know, some of the guys, and I thought your comments about Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum, that they really had to change some things that they were doing if Boston was going to be more successful. The transformation since early January and now is hard to believe. The big dialogue in December, and I raised my hand that I was part of it. I bought, I reluctantly said, all right, I guess you're right. They got to break them up. It ain't working the way it should. And that meant trading Brown because they weren't trading Tatum. And that meant trading Brown, if necessary, and maybe finding a shooting guard, which is something that they would have benefited from. Well, it, it, it obviously that yeah, the best. Sometimes they say the best trades you make are the, are the ones you don't make. And in this case, uh, if they ever seriously entertain that thought, uh, they're, they're happy now. They never did it. Uh, they kept them together, and these two guys have come together and figured out. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was personal animosity. That wasn't it. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't uh, this wasn't John Wall and Bradley Beal. It wasn't anything like that. This, this was just a, a technical, stylistic incompatibility, and maybe, but, but they didn't. It wasn't as if they didn't get along personally. They did. So anyway, it, here's the question we're asking, and, and, and I don't have the answer. This is an imponderable. Something happened. There was an epiphany in which uh, they, they started agreeing to listen better to Amy Adoka, or he started saying something differently, or that, something happened, and we don't ex know exactly what was the uh, the the, the uh, genesis of it? But in January, after losing a terrible game to the Knicks and falling three games under 500, it's almost just like they drew a curtain and said, "Okay, enough of that. You know what? Yeah. Let's let's, let's play some real basketball." And 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 that's what's been going on. We don't know what what happened. Something had to happen. Yeah, doesn't this doesn't happen by accident? No. <laughs> so you're kind of crediting Marcus Smart. And as I guess the Boston media did with sort of saying, guys, we got to talk about this because this is not acceptable. Yeah, but but it didn't sink in because he did that in December and it didn't sink in for at least a month. If that that's part of the thing, maybe they said, you know, maybe Marcus was right. You know, maybe that's the way it was like. And and whatever Emi was selling and they weren't necessarily buying, maybe they finally decided maybe he's right and we're wrong. Because they're, they're playing differently. They're playing much more team-oriented. Now, one of the great manifestations was last night. Everybody's talking about the number of threes. Yes, that's true. My number that I loved was 33. What's 33? They had 33 assists and 43 baskets. That's a 75% assist yeah, basket. that's ratio. really high. And that is very high. Even the 85-86 Celtics, and I'm determined I'm going to go look, up, look it up to see. I, seldom, I, bet, I believe they didn't do it all that much, and they're the best passing team I've ever seen. So that is an, what that means is two things. One, they made the shots. But number two, they were moving the ball. There was no ISO. It was moving the ball. And, 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 and if, if they, they have to remember that that's what got them that win last night, and that's the way they have to play. And they have to trust each other, and they've got to keep moving the ball. They're with that. If you're going to go that 75% assist basket ratio uh, and, and shoot reasonably well, you're going to win most of your games. Well, there was a point in the fourth quarter yesterday where Golden State was one of six from three, 
and Boston was seven of seven. And I just looked at that stat and said, that you're going to win a lot mm. of games that way. I yeah. mean, I, you know, I don't care who you are. You're going to win a lot of games if you can do that. And Boston doesn't always do that. I, no, think, well, some, I think sometimes their shot selection leaves a little to be desired. Well, that was, you know, they've, they've shown themselves capable of these bursts. They had a, a game one against Milwaukee. They made a lot of threes. Game seven, they made 22 threes. Uh, while Milwaukee was shooting four for 33 uh, from the three. So um, they have this capability, but nobody can do that every night. Even the Warriors can't. No they, question. You know, can't, they can't. Warriors nobody proved can they couldn't even night. do it in the fourth quarter. So night. you have to have all, you know, multi, uh, more than one ways to win. In the, in the old days, you know, the game was always inside out. Nobody throws the ball inside anymore, ever. So that, that's out. But you, you have to find a ways to win. Now, interesting the way this is such a modern game last night. 173 shots attempted to go total, uh, 87 uh, twos and 86 threes, or wow, vice versa. That's really, yeah. yeah, that's really that's, something that to think about. Tells it. you about the modern game. Yeah. That would if someone just what if someone just think it's it's the year 1998 and someone told you there'd be an NBA playoff game in which in which you know and you saw the way the game was being played then the three was part of the deal but only part of the deal not the main part of the deal. Somebody told you there'd be a game in the future where there'd be a 50-50 ratio of twos to threes. You'd laugh. You would absolutely laugh. No question. The, I, I remember people game. used to say this is going to be the end of basketball, the three-point shot. Now, if you take the worst shot in basketball as a long two. That's what they say, and I hate that phrase, but you're right. That's the, that's the Daryl Morification of basketball, and I think he's the one that came up with it. And, and you know, he, the, his vision of how to play the game is the vision shared by everybody now, and it's the nature of the game, and I, I hate it. I don't like it. Uh, I, I would abolish the three in the next five minutes, but, I mean, I know I have to live with it, and then it's never going away. And I'm, I'm predicting there'll be a four before there'll be uh, – before. And, you know, Go back to just twos? Too long. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like the three. I mean, as – if somebody, because I, I have reasons for this, because I think shooting a basketball is one of the is areas in the game where it's not just your talent. It's not the ability to run and jump. It's, it's repetitive motion. It's, it's practicing. It's committing yourself to something that requires form and repetition. I, I actually think it accentuates the things that we should respect as a society. It's just that it's happened to the point where it's now so frequent that it's starting to make the game, especially with a certain generation, unrecognizable. Yeah, I'm looking. I, what I would like to see, and, and it's just more balance. That's all. Uh, I like, you know, I, there wasn't one point in the game that either team had a, a, a tall person stand down there, put his back to the basket put his hand up and receive a pass so he could take a two-foot or six-foot jump hook or, 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 or some kind of an inside up-and-under move. Not once in the game did that happen that I can recall. And, and that was a cool you – know, I just think Kevin McHale would have no game today. He had no role in the game. Terrible. I'd pay anything to see Kevin McHale put on – we used to call it the torture chamber. We used to talk about how he could take people down in the torture chamber. Well, there is no, there is no torture chamber anymore. And uh, last night, uh, you know, was, was proof of that. But that's the game. That's the way. And people that only know the game post threes uh, don't even know what I'm talking about. And I understand that. But I, it, it was a different game. And, and I'd just like to see some balance. But um, um, it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, I kind of think that the Really, they did a great job. Now, I don't know how much of it was a doka. Probably Brad Stevens had a big hand in bringing Derek White into the fold because he's so useful. 
I mean, he's a mm. better shooter than I ever realized, and he gets in front of someone and stays oh. there. Yep. Yeah. I he mean, that is useful. I'm sure that the defense was at least 50% of why they got him, that they saw that he would fit in what they do right. He will take a charge. Uh, he's smart. He, he anticipates well. Uh, he fits into their, their, their concepts very, very, very well. Uh, the shooting has come and gone, as I said. He started out shooting well. Then he went into a long slump. He has emerged from it at just the right time. <laughs> For, you know, and if this is the way he's going to be, um, you know, then he's a, you know, absolutely a major piece of, of their puzzle. And it turned out to be a great move on, on the trading deadline day. Okay, last thing for you. How long can Al Horford continue to do this? Well, it's interesting. You know, he, he seems to he's got one of these games like last night, one of these shooting games every series. And uh, I would like, I would predict very boldly and, and confidently he won't be making six threes in another game in this series. But uh, he helped him in so many ways. He, 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 he may have a, a 15 rebound game in him. He may have a seven or eight assist game in him. He's a basketball player. He's a, he's a versatile big who knows how to play. And I tell you, he's the big brother of the team. He is the conscience of this team. And you just think about a year ago, he was told by Oklahoma City, okay, uh, we need to play kids. Uh, you really aren't helping us that much. Go sit down for the rest of the season. And he sat down for two months. Crazy. And, and, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, and, and the Celtics unloaded, you know, the uh, Kemba Walker, and we all shrugged when they brought back out because, you know, we were led to believe it's been like three years. If Philly didn't work out and it wasn't working out in Oklahoma City, Al's done. You, you know, that would yeah. be the supposition. Well, Al obviously wasn't done. No. So you answer your question, I don't know, but all the Celtics fans' hope is it lasts for another 10 days. <laughs> no question. That would be it. Bob, always enjoy it. Hope you uh, have fun with the rest of the series. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Good, Bobby. Nice to talk to you always. Thanks. Bob Ryan from ESPN. we got to take a quick time out. Right back on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii. Back on this Aloha Friday edition of the program. You know what's funny? When they try to evaluate, I was just seeing this flashed up on a screen, and I think it's interesting because people talk about it with every franchise in the NFL. Who had a good offseason? Now, this is coming up right now. It says that the Dallas Cowboys had the ninth worst offseason in the entire league. I, you know, how do you evaluate those things? I mean, what's the difference between being seventh and ninth in terms of the worst? I would say this. It doesn't seem that Dallas helped itself a lot. I just think you went and got rid of your best receiver, Amari Cooper. You let Cedric Wilson get away. I'm, I'm like, okay, well, what exactly is the end game here? Did you bring in anybody spectacular? I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't see that they did a lot of really good things to advance the position of their franchise. Do you? I mean, I would say that. You bring up two guys. I'll bring up two more guys. They cut Lyle Collins, and they let Connor, uh, Connor Williams go. Connor Williams now with Miami. Lyle Collins is now with Cincinnati. And who did they bring in to replace them? Uh, Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Um, is he a rookie? Yes. I mean, come uh, yeah. on! How many rookies? How many rookies are going to be effective in their in their first year in the NFL? I mean, other than 
I mean, I will say the Dallas Cowboys have had good luck with rookies in their rookie year. Look at Micah Parsons, who's basically defensive player of the year candidate. Zach Martin, you bring up. Tyron Smith, you bring up. And look at their other linebackers in the past. Leighton Vanderesh started out his career really well. Charles Jack started his career really well. Dak, Zeke. So, like, yeah, rookie years, they usually go pretty well for the Dallas Cowboys. But then years go down the line. You know, the exceptions of uh, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, you hope also for Micah Parsons, but you saw how Miles Jack and Leighton Vanderesh, their usage just go downhill just because of injuries and just not really living up to the same expectations that they developed for themselves when they were rookies. So, yeah, you hope Tyler Smith is good, but also at the same time, he had a lot of stuff to be worried about as a drafty whether it be you know holding issues uh issues yeah just basically holding issues was his main worry right. so hey yeah you lost two offensive linemen who were veterans but hey you drafted a rookie so good job dallas cowboys yeah, well that's what i'm saying that seems to me to be almost like the dallas cowboys have given up on winning a super bowl because jerry jones is not a kid what is jerry jones now 77 I, I, something along that line. I don't think. I mean, is he going to win another a, a Super Bowl before he's gone? I th- used to think that was. It seemed to be a real drive for him. I'm not sure it still is. I'm not sure he's not just happy to say, "Come visit Jerry's world." We'll just uh, we'll chill out. We'll have like a guy like Mike McCarthy, who is about as mediocre as head coaches come, and we'll just make bad decisions and preserve the dough. I don't know. I never thought Jerry Jones was that kind of guy, but I'm starting to think it now. And also, will correct myself. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris Hart. I meant Jalen Smith, not Miles Jack. Miles Jack. Well, was... I said Jalen Smith, and you kept going with Miles Jack. That was so my. Like, I I got Miles Jack was with Jacksonville. I right? mixed so... them up because they both had the similar uh, knee injuries right. in the same draft. And so that was both, my bad. They were both predicted they weren't going to be around in the NFL. And they both well. started their careers very well. Right. And of course. Here we are. So I, I was wondering. I tried to to guide you with the Jalen Smith, but it didn't have any effect. We went right back to Miles Jack. So I let it go. Two nine six. I should be more like Chris. Should have corrected you. Two nine six fourteen twenty uh, is the number. Go ahead if you have something. We don't have much time left. We have got a minute or so. If you have something, I you know, I, and I'm tired of it almost because I feel like I'm put in the position of defending Tua. Quite often, because I just think the narrative on him has been so freaking unfair. The guy completed 66% and change of his passes. He got the third fastest release in the NFL of 2.51 seconds. Where did this bust thing come from? It was just so unreasonable for a guy that had had come into the league trying to heal a catastrophic injury. 13 and 7 as a starter. I, I'm just, I just don't get it. It just seems to me to be it, just completely a lack of evidence in coming to the conclusion that the guy's a bust. Well, what's nice is I think a lot of people's eyes are opening with a lot of the stuff that people are saying. Even the big networks are now starting to see what's up with Tua, and hopefully by the season start we'll actually see some play. And that will make a lot of people feel better. Well, it'll make a lot of people in Honolulu feel better. I promise you that. But I think all people here want is fair play. 
if a guy can't play and he's he's poor, they're not going to try to just preserve it just because he's from Hawaii. I just think they feel it's unfair. Anyway, want to thank everybody, Bob Ryan, for jumping in with us today. Really enjoyed uh, Scoop Jackson. Those guys were great. And, of course, Capone Fay. For all of us at ESPN Honolulu, wishing you a great weekend. For Tanner Hayworth, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.